Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would bring real comfort to us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Comfort. Who doesn't like a bit of comfort in their lives? Perhaps you have a comfy armchair, which you sit on in front of the fire or watching TV. And then there's comfort food, say cheese on toast on a cold winter's evening, followed by a mug of hot chocolate. And we can live in comfortable houses and we can have comfortable friends. And I guess if you want a picture of total comfort, you could be sitting in your comfy chair in front of the fire with your comfy friend in your comfy house, having your cheese on toast and mug of hot chocolate as the cold winter's wind blows outside. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 describes God as the God of all comfort. And I guess God is the expert of comfort of this sort because he is the expert on everything which is good. But the comfort which the scriptures generally speak of is comfort of a different sort. It's not so much the state of physical ease or luxury, which I just described, but it's more comfort in terms of easing or relief from a person's feelings of grief or pain. So a child falls over, hurts their knee, their mother scoops them up and gives them a big hug and the child's comforted and they forget about their pain. Or an aged parent is perhaps lonely and worried about managing their affairs, but every week without fail, the son turns up at his mother's place takes care of her affairs, changes the light bulbs and sits down for a good cup of tea and chat with his mum, perhaps praying with her. And the mother says, oh, my son, he is such a comfort to me. And you and I, we can often find ourselves in periods of emotional distress. A family member dies, a, a close relationship falls apart. It's devastating. It's overwhelming. And we long for relief. We long for comfort of some sort. Now, many around the world today are very negatively impacted by the COVID virus, whether it's because they're languishing in lockdown or they're suffering personal COVID-related ill health or perhaps they've lost loved ones to the virus. Many long for comfort, for relief from COVID's impact But where can we find it? Now, this is you. Where can you find comfort? Really, in real life, should we be suffering under COVID? Now, today we're commencing our three-week series entitled Living in Lockdown. And we're thinking about the topic of comfort. And I mean here by comfort, the relief from pain sort of comfort. Our focus is on Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll be thinking about, firstly, living in an uncertain world. Secondly, look to God. And thirdly, turn your eyes upon Jesus. So that's where we're going. Let's start firstly about considering the uncertain world in which we live. Now, for many people throughout human history, the world has been an essentially uncertain place. Sure, There's the rhythmic nature of the seasons and the years and age from from birth to growing up to death. 
But for many people, a lot of the time, there has also been the threat that crops may fail, or armies may invade, or natural disasters may strike, or diseases may run rampant. I mean, pandemics are not new. In the second century in the Roman Empire, uh, in a 15-year period, roughly a quarter to a third of the population were killed by that particular pandemic or epidemic. Now, the world in which the prophet Isaiah worked was an uncertain world. Isaiah was called to be a prophet in about 740 BC, and he did his ministry in the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, Judah had just experienced 50 years of military success, political stability, and prosperity under King Uzziah. But King Uzziah had just died, and things were starting to change. International relations were becoming ominous, and the Assyrian superpower loomed. In 722 BC, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians. And living in the southern kingdom of Judah after that, might have felt a bit like living in Europe in the late 1930s. Where could you find comfort in such dangerous and uncertain times? Now, for the last 75 years in the West, and particularly in Australia, we've managed to avoid a lot of this sort of stress and uncertainty. Money and, and knowledge have allowed us to, I guess, control many illnesses, ensure consistent food production, and maintain a good standard of living. But we can't entirely eliminate threat. The recent 20th, uh, 20 year commemorations of the 9-11 reminds us that we live these days in a world of global terrorism. And then many in Australia feel the, uh, the looming presence of China. And you may have seen during the week that Australia has entered into plans to acquire uh, a nuclear-powered submarine fleet as part of a plan to counter China's influence in our region. And while we here in the mountains may be free from the threat of volcano, earthquake and flood, we're not immune from the threat of bushfires, are we? And of course, like everyone else in the country, there is the uncertainty caused by COVID. Now, last year when COVID first hit our shores, I referred to a, um, a report which was released by McCrindle Research entitled COVID-19, How the Global Pandemic is Shaping the Sentiment, Behaviour and Outlook of Australians. And it found, for example, that feelings of anxiety were high amongst 18 to 25-year-olds. But if you're over 75, the emotion which you felt most likely was that of vulnerability. I wonder how you're feeling as we now experience our second lockdown period. Perhaps you're fearful and anxious, or perhaps more annoyed and frustrated. Holiday plans cancelled, sport called off. None of us are immune. And the nature of life for all of us at the moment can gradually grind us down. Where can we look for comfort? Now, before we get into this, it may be that some people watching are thinking to themselves, really, COVID doesn't bother me at all. I'm doing absolutely fine. This is not an issue for me. In which case, that is great. But all of us have some things in our lives which can wear us down, 
which can grind us into the dirt that disappoint, disillusion, and perhaps even devastate us. Now, for me, in my own life, there are things that have happened, and there are other things which periodically come to the surface and raise their ugly head, which cause me significant frustration, disappointment, and grief. So where should you go, and where should I go at times like this, when COVID or whatever else it may be are starting to wear us down? Now, society presents us with all sorts of self-help options. There's the option of drowning our sorrows in drink, which I don't think is a particularly wise approach. Then you hear some suggestions like, you know, get your sleep, practice gratefulness, make sure you exercise. And there is some wisdom in doing those things. But approaches, approaches that ultimately look to ourselves to provide ourselves with comfort are flawed because we are flawed. Other approaches which look to outside circumstances to bring us comfort are similarly unreliable because circumstances fluctuate, don't they? Thankfully, the book of Isaiah chapter 40 urges us to look somewhere far more reliable in terms of comfort. And this brings us to our second main point, look to God. Look at chapter 40 with me, if you will. Note how it starts. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, dot, dot, dot. Well, well, what? What is it that can be proclaimed that will bring comfort? Well, in effect, the rest of the chapter. The whole of the chapter sets forth truths which can bring us comfort as God's people in times of uncertainty. The chapter describes the, uh, God's power, wisdom, justice, commitment, care, and salvation. Now, exactly how is it that these qualities or characteristics of God can bring you or I comfort in times of uncertainty, difficulty, and grief? I mean, what difference does it make? Well, uh, I remember as a very young child, when I was probably before school, I'd sometimes catch the train into the city with my mum, and I remember going through the tunnels. And I remember I was a little nervous of the tunnels, perhaps even a bit scared. I, I can't exactly remember because there was suddenly the darkness and there was the noise. But I felt okay because I was there with my mother, who I knew cared for me and would look after me. Being with her made all the difference. In the same way, we can go through dark tunnels in our lives, whether they're COVID-related tunnels or other forms of grief, uh, which we can experience as tunnels, you know, relationship breakdown tunnels, uh, bereavement tunnels, etc. But it can be comforting at these times to remember that we are in the presence and we are with our all-powerful, wise, loving, just, caring, committed God, who ultimately brings us salvation and that he's with us. In the same way that a child is comforted by their mother being there, you and I can genuinely be comforted by knowing that God is with us at these times. So kids know their mothers very well, will be more comforted, the better we know God. So let's find out a bit more about God in the rest of this chapter. One of the reasons we can find comfort in being close to God is because of God's unsurpassed power. 
Now, the chapter helps us to appreciate God's power from many perspectives. Firstly, um, God's presence on this planet is more permanent than that of people. Look at verse 6. All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. And then going to verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You see, people, other people are a real blessing and they can be a great comfort to us in our lives. But people are not always reliable and sadly, they may die before we do. The people we rely on may pass away before we do. But God, His Word and His comfort will always be there. They will never be absent or never insufficient. Secondly, uh, people can sometimes give us real grief, but God has ultimate power over people, even rulers in this world. Look at verse 23. It says, He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Now, this doesn't mean that God's uncaring and that the rulers of the world are just His playthings, but rather it highlights that the Bidens, the Putins, the Jinpings of this world are ultimately under God's control. That is a comfort. Thirdly, God's power is is displayed over entire nations, not just individuals. Verse 15 says, Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. If we're worried about a possible threat from China or the decisions of our own government, it's a comfort to know that God is absolutely sovereign over them as well. They can only do what He allows. Fourthly, God's power over creation is seen, and it's described in a number of very poetic ways in this chapter. Before we look at the first one, first consider your hand. There's the hollow of your hand, and there's the the breadth of your hand. Now look at verse 12. (coughs) Excuse me. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Doesn't mean who can put a bit of water in the hollow of their hands, but who can put all the waters into the hollow of his hand and can measure the heavens with the breadth of his hand? Well, God obviously can, is the implication, which highlights his unsurpassed power. Then there's verse 26, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. You see, if God can take care of our planet, our solar system, our galaxy, the supernovas, the comets, the universe, all of the heavens, He can take care of us. But unsurpassed power like this, without wisdom, would be no comfort. I mean, how comforting would it be if God was like some sort of divine bull in a china shop? Incredibly powerful but lacking wisdom and insight. Fortunately, the chapter highlights God's incredible wisdom. Verse 13, Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? 
The, the implied answer to all of these is no one. He knows it himself. Now, there are so many things in life which are beyond my understanding. If someone said, Stephen, I want you to sort out the whole refugee people smuggling crisis in Southeast Asia, I'd be struggling to know what to do. If someone said, Stephen, I want you to decide on the exact nature of COVID restrictions in different parts of our country, weighing up public health issues, mental health issues, and uh, employment issues, you decided it's up to you? Well, I think that would be a bit beyond me as well. And there are things which are beyond the whole totality of human understanding. I mean, the creation of the universe. We don't know about that. The exact nature of God being a trinity. We don't fully understand that. But God is absolutely on top of all of these topics. What a great comfort it is to know that God possesses that level of wisdom. But further, I guess, the unsurpassed power and wisdom of God wouldn't be of any comfort to us if he had no interest in us. Bill Gates, the founder or the co-founder of Microsoft, he has a lot of power and he certainly has wisdom of a certain sort. But he has no particular interest in you or me. I mean, he's not against us. He probably just doesn't even think about us. God, on the other hand, is both committed to and cares for his people. First, God's commitment. Now, I don't notice, know whether you noticed in verse 1, it says, comfort, comfort my people. Did you notice the my people bit? You see, God is speaking to those that he has a covenant commitment to. And one of the ways God's covenant commitment manifests itself is in God's care. We've already seen his desire to bring comfort to his people in verse 1. But there are two verses in this chapter which really struck me during the week. Verses 10 and 11. Have a, have a quick look. It says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Now, this is a picture of power. But then we get in the very next verse. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have had young. We see here God's incredible power, but also God's incredible care as well. And it reminds me a bit of the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, our Father, someone who is personal, who cares about us, our Father in heaven, who is powerful and can act on a magnificent scale. Now, we live in a world of uncertainty. If God was personal, but not powerful, he'd be like a, a kindly grandparent, wishing us all the good things of life, but as unable to carry that out as any other well-intentioned grandparent is in the face of the huge forces that we face in life. If God was powerful but not personal, he'd be like some detached dictator, emotionlessly making decisions that change world events, but are not necessarily concerned or influenced by any concern for us. But God is both powerful and personal. What a comfort that is. 
Now, one of the ways God can show his care for us is by giving us strength now in this life. Verse 29 says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. I mean, who doesn't want strength and power in this life, particularly when we're struggling with something as we so regularly do? Now, God does not promise, and I emphasize this, God does not promise us an easy life. In fact, often he will allow us to go through things of great difficulty and perhaps even devastation. But whatever God allows us to experience, he promises us strength to face it in what is often a wearying, disillusioning, and at times devastating life. He is with us and he will give us the strength we need at that time. Finally, the chapter points forward to God's salvation. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And verse 5, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Now, that was probably originally understood to refer to God restoring Israel's fortunes at some time in the future. But now we know a lot more. In the late summer of 1741, a German-born composer sat down at his house in London and in a burst of furious activity over the next 24 days, wrote perhaps the most popular and frequently performed choral work ever. And this choral work opened with the words, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. And before long, it then says, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. You see, the opening words of this choral work are taken from Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 5. The choral work is, of course, Handel's Messiah. Handel quoted Isaiah 40 as he correctly saw it as ultimately pointing to Jesus. That's why Isaiah 40 is in a choral work called The Messiah. And the writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John also saw the beginning, the opening verses of Isaiah 40 as pointing to Jesus. See, John the Baptist is the voice of the one crying in the, crying in the wilderness and the Lord who was to come, the glory of the Lord related to Jesus. So if we're seeking comfort, Isaiah 40 would have us not just look to God, but seen within the context of the whole Bible, it would have us, and here's our third brief point, turn our eyes upon Jesus. You see, Jesus is the glory of God to be revealed of verse 5. Verse 2 speaks of Jerusalem's sins having been paid for. Jesus' death is, of course, the means by which our sins can be paid for. And Isaiah 40 speaks of God as being powerful, personal, wise, caring and committed. And Jesus is all of these things. In fact, Isaiah 40 even compares God to a shepherd. And of course, Jesus is compared to a shepherd in, for example, John chapter 10, verses 14 to 15 read, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Let me conclude. Are you doing it tough during lockdown? Or are you doing it tough as a result of some other draining, disillusioning, disappointing or devastating experience which you're going through at the moment? What will you do? Where will you go 
for comfort. Will you simply wallow in the situation? That won't do much good. Will you hope that the circumstances will change? Well, that's unreliable and ultimately out of our control. Will you try to pull yourself out of it? Well, there can be some sensible things to do, you know, exercise, things like that. But our capacity is limited. Or will you look to God? Will you turn your eyes upon Jesus? The 23rd Psalm is one of the most famous of Psalms. And it famously says, the Lord is my shepherd. God is a shepherd in Isaiah 40. Jesus is, of course, a shepherd in John chapter 10. And then Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, God and the Son of God, God is the one who can comfort us in the hard times by being with us, caring for us, loving us, strengthening us, watching over us. And so the big idea today is, for comfort amidst COVID, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let me pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we know that at all times there are people uh, in our church and and watching uh, this recording who are doing it tough. It may be as a result of COVID and COVID-related issues. It could be entirely different matters. But we, Lord, we know that you are the God of all comfort and that as your people, if we're your people, that you are with us in good times and bad and your presence can bring us comfort. We pray that we would look to you for help in such times of need. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.